0: Welcome to our newest season of Humane Podcast in 2021. Humane is your first look at the startups and industry titans that are leading and disrupting ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education. I am your host, David Jakobovic, and this is Humane. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Now, on to our show. Welcome, everyone, back to the Humane Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking all about data, analytics, decision, and intelligence with the Chief Innovation Officer of SingleStore, presenting to you today, Oliver Schabenberger. Oliver today is the Chief Innovation Officer at SingleStore, where we are building the database of choice for data-intensive applications, fast applications, and fast analytics, Oliver, thanks so much for joining us on the show.
2: David, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. I'm passionate about data, passionate about machine learning, artificial intelligence, analytics, data-intensive applications. We have a lot to cover. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Absolutely. And it's a very fast-moving industry. And just to start off for our listeners, can you share with everyone a little bit about yourself and you know why you're excited today to build? in the industry around machine learning and data?
2: Well, my love for data started many, many years ago, decades ago, actually. I was a forester and I specialized in an area of forestry that focused on getting information and insight from data collected about trees, about forests, making predictions. And that turned me on to the discipline of statistics. I became a professor or associate professor in statistics at Virginia Tech. And after a few years there, I decided to join SAS Institute as a software developer. I wanted to contribute to the building of technology, writing analytics software. I was doing that for uh, 19 years actually, and grew you know, through the technical ranks uh, at SAS to an executive role, built some high performance analytics environment, You know, helped that company uh, build products around advanced analytics, AI, machine learning, and joined SingleStore because this is such an exciting area An exciting era and time to be working with data. You know, everything is digitally transforming. It's a huge buzzword, of course, but it's also very, very real. And we experience it in our own lives, right? I'm a ferocious reader of books, but everything I consume now is in digital form. I love making music, I love playing music, but I, started making music through digital means, you know, doing my pandemic hobby was uh, recording music and you can experience the power of this digital transformation and our world turning into bits and bytes, turning into data. So now this is the raw material for what? How do we get value from it? How do we turn this into uh, decisions? How do we drive businesses with that? Those opportunities are just tremendous. And being at the heart of, you know, this data Evolution and revolution is just very, very exciting, and building on great technology, you know that I can see the future and the next hill and beyond the next hill, uh, that really excites me. And that's why I'm here today.
0: I love it. And as you mentioned, during the pandemic, we have spent so much time with our devices and the data on these devices. In fact, I was spending 16 hours a day just glued to my device and only recently now started getting to spend time seeing that as a physical world. But whether we're living in the digital or physical world, data is everywhere. And as you've mentioned, you've seen a lot of the trends and the changes and the connection between AI, machine learning, analytics, and data. What are some of the connections and insights that you've seen throughout your career, Oliver?
2: As I mentioned, David, I came from a statistical background, and there's a certain view of thinking about data. As a statistician, I think of data as having been generated by some process, some process that involves randomness, stochastic, has a stochastic nature. And the data I work with is a realization of that. So if I want to understand the data, I build a not just a mental model, but a probabilistic model of how the data came about. And once I accept that model as a good abstraction, then I use the model to ask questions about the world. Can I test the hypotheses whether treatment A and and treatment B in a clinical trial are superior to each other? Can I predict something? And so the model is at the heart of it. An abstraction of the world. And George Box is often quoted as saying all models are wrong, some are useful, which is then misinterpreted sometimes as all models, statistical or scientific model are questionable. But really what he meant was we abstract for a reason because we think the abstraction is helpful to take away the noise and see the essence of the problem we're studying. And once we have that essence, we can draw more informed conclusions.
0: And we saw during the pandemic, of course, right, that uh, all the models that we thought were correct did change, right? Digital transformation changed everything. And as you have shared before, every organization that had five-year plans suddenly had to accelerate that in 2020.
2: Yes. And we found that many of the assumptions that are going into our established models and established thinking about industries, about supply chains, they had to be questioned because we those models were not built on incorporating uh, situations like, okay, I'm in the transportation industry. What happens if nobody travels for the next 12 months? That was just not part of the uh, decision fabric, and so that called into questions a lot of the our thinking and our models. Uh, financial instruments that you would assume would always be liquid all of a sudden were not. So it's a real important learning experience also for us to understand scenario modeling and not just making a prediction, but in order to support decisions, maybe I can have a decision envelope that tells me worst case, best case scenario, most likely and that guides my decisions moving forward. I remember I was preparing for an interview, a media interview in March last year, March 2020, and we had just started to get more and more forecast predictions for COVID, impact COVID deaths in the United States, and a new number had come out that day around the day 80,000 deaths and it was shocking to us wow well looking back you know we know that the the number of COVID deaths much much higher unfortunately but at the time that was still very important useful prediction we can say the model was wrong it predicted lower than what you know what happened but it was useful in that it helped us inform policy so models are not always bad if they are not 100% accurate. They need to be able to guide the decisions, and they need to provide the right abstractions. But we also have a different approach and different thinking now, and that's where machine learning comes in, that I have a problem to solve, and that problem depends on data. Okay, I need to make a prediction or a classification, or I want to visualize something, or I need to find a pattern. Well, I have a plethora of tools I can go about it. Which tool is the best to use in this situation? This set of data. So it doesn't put a probabilistic model as the foundation, but if you will, a more practical approach. What is the best tool to use to solve that problem? And it's where those disciplines, I think, really would benefit a little bit from coming together. On one side, we have an approach steeped in mathematical statistics and probability theory. On the other side, it's a more computationally driven approach. And it shows how. Computer science as a discipline changed its focus from focus on compute to focus on data. It's a very, very good thing. And today in applications, we see a similar change in focus. We call it data-intensive applications. What are those? It's Those are applications where not the CPU, the compute is the constraint, constraining factor. But data is becoming... The constraining factor, whether it's the size of the data, the volume, the velocity with which it's moving, the type of data. You know, doing the, the big data, the rise of big data, it was not just that there was now more data than we had to deal with before. It was organizations were seeing data in a different form. Clickstream data, behavioral data. That is not the typical data that, would, uh, that you would store in a system of record. And how do you adjust to it? And there's new information. There are new patterns in the data that I can detect. And what happens if I miss that opportunity and others take advantage of it? So it was also about being able to consume different forms of data in different ways and, and making it making new decisions on it, make, predicting in a different way and recommending in a different way.
0: Right. And there's so many parts of the data science workflow, as you've mentioned Rightfully so, Oliver, that developer tools is at the heart of the matter. Whether you're thinking of analytics, artificial intelligence, or machine learning, they apply in many different ways to enterprises. In fact, last year I had on both two founders of leading explainable AI and experimental design startups, one Gideon Mendels from Comet ML, looking at different experimentation tracking with the weights and biases on models to make them explainable. I also had featured on the show as well, Chris Van Pelt. Chris Van Pelt is the founder of Weights and Biases, looking also at the model tracking. And there's so many ends of the data science workflow that enterprises are thinking about solving for for their data intensive applications. And the challenge that I think we're thinking about today is how do you build these solutions? How do you democratize them when you're an enterprise who wants to apply applied artificial intelligence or applied machine learning?
2: Yeah, very good question. We see a, you mentioned a plethora of tools and with that comes the difficulty of stitching things together and making multiple tools, multiple languages, multiple data architectures work together. It almost feels like we grew up in different worlds a little bit, right? In the data world, we have transactional systems that record the ongoing business. And those things shall not do any analytics because analytics are done in different systems that are purpose-built for that to enable fast scans and they are not good at doing transactions. And now a third world comes along, machine learning and data science. We need a data lake for that. And to me, these separations feel a little bit artificial. They are somewhat based on the technology we've built in the past that was purpose-built for a certain use case. And what we're really seeing is the use cases coming together. For example, a transactional system now needs to not just record the state of the business, it needs to respond. The system of record becomes a system of response. So if I interact with a customer recording that transaction, an order entry or a a fulfillment record, yes, that absolutely, that needs to be recorded. But the important thing might also be that I trigger a next best action decision? Or should I provide that customer a discount? Or do I need to use that information now for real-time pricing? So it's a response to the transaction that now becomes part of it. And those responses invariably are analytical. At the same time, analytical systems, they want to go faster. They want to respond in, uh, more real-time as when the transaction happens. And machine learning is not cannot just be the development of clever models in absence of how these models get operationalized and be used in an organization. So these worlds need to come together and it starts with a fabric. It starts with a data foundation because they all depend on data where the workloads can all converge. So what I'm excited about in single store is that we can serve all these use cases rather than building these building separate uh, silos and empires that need to be connected, breaking down the, the silos is much more efficient. You mentioned explainable AI. It's a lot of questions about when I build these models, what are they, We call them AI models or other business logic, or just these are algorithmic decisions that are being made, right? The input is data, some pipeline, some transformation happens, math, math is applied and outcome is produced. I might predict or I might assign a customer to a segment or I might calculate an optimal price or I might update a credit score, calculate the probability that a transaction is fraudulent. What are the risks associated with those decisions? And so if we don't understand well how the algorithm comes to its conclusion, it's very difficult to incorporate these tools into a decision pipeline. The question of explainability, fairness, uh, transparency of algorithms is not new. We've used algorithms for decades. What is new is today we're using algorithmic decisioning at much greater scale with much greater speed. And we're using models that are much, much more complex. When I worked in statistics, if I would build a model that had 50 or 100 parameters, it was big, yet still I could... Find ways to relatively easily manipulate the model and understand if I change this variable by that many units, H goes up by one, or you know, in a different zip code, what is my prediction? Although it's not necessarily good practice to just change these you know, variables independently as if they don't are not related to each other. But if you think about large systems we build today, neural networks with millions and millions and billions of parameters. We can't just look at those and say, okay, now I understand how the model works. We need different tools that inform the impact, and we try to glean, if you will, secondhand how these systems react and make decisions. I believe, in my heart of hearts, that we're just in one of those periods where technology evolves and that we will get to a different class of models that probably will explain itself more easily that has more contextual understanding, um, rather than, for example, a computer vision model, just looking at pixels and based on pixels, declaring something.
0: Yeah, and when I think about data, you're so right that uh, I got my career started in actuarial science, so I think much on a similar level, working in spreadsheets and some of the foundational programming languages with parameters for very structured data. And today a lot of organizations are expanding from structured data to unstructured data, like geospatial data, social media data, video data, sound data, which is providing a lot of new opportunities and complexities on how to tell the story, on how to do that processing. What have you seen around this unstructured data boom that we're seeing today in the industry? We've
2: experienced an explosion of neural network technology over the last 10, 15 years. Amazing to watch, an amazing you know, increase in capabilities and performance in in reliability in accuracy. It was, I think in 2011, when for the first time a human interpreter was bested in the ImageNet classification, hold up an image and then within a couple of seconds. So you have to identify the objects on the images. That was a watershed moment. Now, what was so, Important though, was, it was the convergence of three things. None of them were n- really new, but they came together to give us that those capabilities. It was neural network technology, but we were building much deeper networks than we had done in the past. It was the availability of big compute and cloud computing made that possible. GPUs made that possible for the neural networks. So we had big compute to solve um, much deeper problems. And we had large amounts of data to train those models well. And it's really those three that brought the sea-changing capabilities. And it was the difference between a natural language interaction system, the chatbot, being kind of, "Er, that's not working well. And yes, I can see how you can productize this. And since then, we've seen uh, this technology have been game-changing in many industries. Autonomous driving, natural language, understanding, computer vision. So what's different about those applications compared to AI applications in the past?
1: Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
3: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite.
2: The modern AI, data-driven AI and machine learning applications are very, very good at recognizing pattern. And we train them to recognize pattern. So computer vision algorithm, we, we might feed thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of images, images on which we declare the ground truth. This is a tomato, this is a cat, this is a dog. And through replication, the neural network, and as it trains, it learns to match patterns against the labels we provide. So it's a pattern matching exercise. And these algorithms get very good at it. Now the neural network will not understand, will not tell you an image, the animal on an image is a cat. Because it recognizes fur and eyes and whiskers and ears, but it just recognizes pixels. So when we think ahead, what maybe the next generation of those models might look like? They might be more contextual, build up from individual component models. Component models for a four-legged like an animal, for uh, for ears, for eyes, for whiskers, and then when it puts it together, said, "Oh, I think this is a really ugly dog." No, it's a cat. What made you think it's an ugly dog? It's because this is what I put together. And then you can have, you can interact with the system and understand what how it draws its conclusion, and then you can correct. Right now, we're not really very good at correcting these neural networks trained on large amounts of data to detect patterns. Others than okay, I'm trying to figure out what pixels are lighting up for you, what areas of the image seem important, and maybe provide images that, provide a counterpoint to this or emphasize this so you can learn better but the the capability that's provided us in the meantime are just staggering are amazing and that's where i think understanding the limitations of the technology what it can and cannot do is also very calming you know we we were talking about machines coming for us in what was it like around 2017 you know terminator style the world's coming to an end and Machines are subjugating us, then it's like, okay, nah, I guess, I guess that's not going to happen, but they're going to come for our jobs. Well, that didn't happen. It's but oh, no, they're going to augment our jobs.
0: Right. And when we look at careers, as you mentioned, looking at like actuary and statistician and econometricians and data analysts, this has evolved into data scientists, data engineering, machine learning engineer, AI specialist, site reliable engineers and the list goes on. Oliver, how do you see the roles of some of these jobs like data scientists and others changing in the future?
2: On one end there's data and on the other end is decisions and intelligence we derive from data. And in the intermediary, the connecting tissue is analytics in all forms of analytics. I take a very broad definition. So machine learning, advanced analytics, statistics, econometrics, a time series analysis all in there, visualization. That's the toolbox. And artificial intelligence is simply what we do with it. Artificial intelligence means you build a computerized system that does a job or does, performs a task or makes a decision that a human could make. So what I see is we have more tools in our toolbox. So if you do your taxes with tax software, you use an AI system. That is AI. That is a computerized system that encapsulates and captures the work a human can make, a CPA can do, but you choose to use it in machine code through a software. It's an AI system, but it's a different AI system from the ones we're building today with neural networks. It's one that captures expert logic. And the systems today are good at capturing the world. They're good about sensing the world. That's why we're seeing them in computer vision and writing and natural language understanding. The role of the data scientists today has a lot to do with building models and building the decision logic and building the algorithmic logic based on which we can make decisions. A lot of the time is still spent in working with the data, massaging the data, cleaning the data, preparing the data so you have the right data in order to do the modeling exercise. I truly believe, and that goes back to the democratization of analytics you mentioned earlier, David, we need to empower all of us to work with data and to contribute to driving the, the world with data and the driving the world with models more. We cannot rely on the very top of the skill pyramid on the data scientists to do that. That means we need more training. We need to be more data literate. That also means we need better tooling that allows and low code and no code contributions using the right building blocks. I should be able to build something, build an application that uses AI without having to be the one to train and understand how to train an AI model. There should be components and elements I can use to more easily build. And so our applications mean, need to have analytics and AI at the heart of it. And that's what data intensive applications are intelligent applications. We need to make sure that analytics is part of how an application works. And so some of that needs to be moved more into the internals of uh, closer to the data then move it higher up at the application layer. I think the data scientists of the future is really the person who orchestrates that data-driven decisioning for an organization rather than just building the individual models Working with the data, I think a lot of that will be part of automation. But orchestrating this, operationalizing it, making sure that the that the organization actually makes the right decisions based on models, has the right metrics, and incorporates models in the right way, that is important. And maybe, you know, the chief data and the chief analytic officer today, maybe they are the true chief information officers of the future because they're working with the information that is driving the business. How do you go from data-driven to model-driven? Very few organizations have made that step. Some digital natives are born there. In a model-driven organization, the model actually is the competitive advantage, that you have a better recommendation engine, that you have a better pricing engine. So building those and operationalizing it, that is going to be important. So I think the future. Of data science is decision science.
0: And let's dive deeper into those models. As you mentioned, you know, 2011 is when we saw those initial breakthroughs with ImageNet, with computer vision, with Fei-Fei Li out of the Google and Stanford labs. We've seen in the last few years significant research with OpenAI and GPT-3 around natural language processing, natural language understanding and transfer learning in text-based design, though these technologies have often been closed source and kept under the hood until recently. Today, OpenAI is in beta. Anyone can practice with GPT-3 and create self-correcting text to be your own text generator. What's your take, Oliver, on the democratization of these technologies to basically make data science as a service anyone even if they don't have the code capabilities absolutely absolutely
2: that's one way of democratizing the use of technology make it more widely available and there could be proprietary elements to it at the core but there could be open interfaces to use it it is what i can build with it that matters not whether it is open all the way through you know to the engine but how i can consume it if you think about it's a Memorial Day is coming up. People will be traveling, will be taking photos with their cameras. The quality of the images that we capture today, we're not professional photographers, most of us. But it, it rivals what a professional photographer could do a decade, 20 years ago, with much more expensive equipment. We have technology at our disposal now that makes us not just a consumer of technology, but a producer look at the contents on YouTube, the quality of what's out there that we all can do. We are becoming, and that's actually a term, prosumer. We consume and produce at the same time. And data should be the same way. We should be able to produce what we need based on data, not just consume. And even on the consumption side, we're not doing enough of it and we're not making it easy enough to consume data. Here's a good example, a dashboard. You now, many dashboards, a bit slow, the loading slow. It's I wait three, five minutes for the dashboard to come up when it's finally up. Then I look at information. Okay, now I need to ask questions. First, why okay, why are these data points the way they are? Why do I see a trend? I drill, I drill in. I have to ask the question, I have to do the drill down, and I have to dig deeper and dig deeper in, in the dashboard. Wouldn't it be great if the relationship would be reversed a little bit and the data would tell me? What I need to know, when I need to know it. So then the data becomes much more active rather than a place to store the data and then me drilling. It knows about the business and it tells me when I need to pay attention. That's a different relationship with data, but it requires also you know different architectures and and different tooling. But moving towards that more people literate technology that that helps us this way, I think, is a very Very exciting development.
0: And as we're continuing to dive deeper into analytics, decision, and intelligence, the entire space here brings up the need for the role of the Chief Innovation Officer. Today, Oliver, you serve as the Chief Innovation Officer for Single Store, the database of choice for data-intensive applications. In your experience, why is a Chief Innovation Officer so essential for growth, especially product-led growth, at a company? Technology is
2: moving very, very fast. And so how do you evolve your technology that you remain relevant and that you remain successful and can grow? In very competitive space, a very interesting space. And I also believe we're just at the beginning of the beginning of much of this. It's incredible what we can do today compared to 15, 10, 15 years ago with our AI technologies, but it's the beginning of the beginning. So where are we taking this? So you have features on roadmaps. You have a six-month, 12-month, 18-month view of what you're building. What is the 36-month view, the 48-month view? I've been around software long enough to know how long it takes to make big changes, right, to change, to flip the rudder and go into a different direction. It takes time. There has to be room for discovery, room for exploration, room for research, room for vetting of technology, while at the same time staying connected to the core of what you do and what you are best at. So I think the idea of innovation is key to success in technology. Innovation is about turning creativity and curiosity into value. And value has to be tied to the core of what we do, core of our business, core of what our customer needs. Innovation to me is not about chasing shiny objects. It's about deriving value for our customers, but helping the customers and also lead them and being led by them what's beyond the next hill. So when I think about databases, I'm thinking about, okay, what's beyond storing data? How does a system of record evolve? Is a system of record become a system of response? What are the changes that the technology needs to empower if this is truly what a direction? What are the opportunities at the edge? And how does this work, for example, in a managed service environment? So those are things that where you, where you explore, where you discover, you put your thinking hat on, but you don't necessarily want to create a whole new class of products. You want to connect it to what the customers need today and where they're going. If you'd asked anyone 20 years ago, if we would have the conversations about AI today that we're having today, and the impact the AI technologies are having, a few, many f- fewer would have said, Uh, would have predicted what we are so how do you build technology that is agile that is flexible that is able to adjust to these trends i think it's key to then understand the leanings and urgencies of technology in general and follow those two important ones i see are connectivity and automation and i believe a lot of things will we are building and will be building, whether it's in the data space or other spaces, are in support of increasing connectivity and increasing automation. Some think of AI as actually automation of automation. So, and then you start getting guideposts and you start to get you know direction on where you see innovation is going. And the second element of innovation is about culture. Because innovation is not just about the product, it's about the culture in the company that that values and nurtures creativity and curiosity and thinking and discovery and exploration. And that's what excites me about this role at single store and working with these incredibly talented individuals that we have, whether it's in technology and marketing and sales all over the company. And how can we bring this thinking of continuous improvement and be creative about getting better? Me, it's not about besting a competitor. It's about, Us getting better at what we do, us serving our customers better, and always asking the questions, what do I do today? Am I better at it than I was yesterday? Am I better than two months ago? Am I better than six months ago? Because if the answers are yes, we're heading in the right direction.
0: And so looking at those guideposts for your vision and hopes for the future of Single Store at 36, 48 months uh, out, could you tease for our audience anything that you're excited about for the future of Single Store?
2: Oh yes, very excited. We are at an incredibly important part of the data space. As I mentioned, analytical applications need to go faster, need to become more real-time transactional systems, need to become more analytical. It is all, it is coming to us, to where we have engineered and we have built technology. This thinking of low latency, high concurrency, it is so in our DNA but it's at the heart of a lot of the friction today in in data and analytics that we felt that organizations felt like they had to build separate systems for use cases. And a lot of the constraints were about underlying technology. They were about the compute technology, the storage technology, the availability, the speed of the network, the number of cores on, on a chip. And these constraints are increasingly going away. Now, initially we thought memory was going to be uh, ubiquitous and will be cheaper and cheaper. It's actually storage and networking that evolved this way. So if those compute constraints go away, what are the new constraints? The new constraints around the data itself, the data you have and the data you collect, the velocity and the volume, how quickly you can ingest, what kind of information, information you can do when you ingest, how can you take that, turn that data into decisions And drive the business and that is our specialty and so having that incredible database i suppose to build those data intensive applications to serve those data intensive applications that are constrained by data i think that is an absolutely spectacular place to be in and that's where i uh, just want to hint at uh, the things that we're interested in in extending the capabilities of a database to drive intelligent decisions in organizations large and small. When scale doesn't matter, when size doesn't matter, when any data can be processed, whether it's a simple business logic, the expert system that is you know, coded, expert logic or a machine learning system that has been trained on data itself. That is the future that I see where this all comes together. And it's so it's about just incorporating in making that connection between data and intelligence and measuring ourselves on are we making better decisions and better can mean many things. It could be in faster decisions. It could be more accurate, be more reliable, could be decisions that are more economic, could be decisions that require less, that lead to less natural resource consumptions that are better for the world. I would love to be, in the position to say that the work we've done improves lives through better decisions.
0: Today on Humane, this has been a conversation on connections, data, analytics, decisions, intelligence, with Single Store's Chief Innovation Officer, Oliver Schabenberger. Oliver, thanks so much for joining us on the show.
2: Thank you, David, for having me. It was delightful.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Humane Podcast. Did the episode measure up to your thoughts on ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education? Share your thoughts with me at humanepodcast.com forward slash contact. Remember to share this episode with a friend, subscribe and leave a review, and listen for more episodes of Humane.